All right? I know that it's a little bit hot in here. It's because it's hot outside. But you guys are mentees. All right? This is, this is a great environment to learn. I want to, I want to give you guys a principle. Get ready to write this down. Inconvenience cultivates character. All right? Inconvenience cultivates character. And so in times of learning, times of growth, it's needed to be inconvenienced. It's needed to be arduous. So sometimes it will be a bit uncomfortable, but it's okay. We are high-level learners. Somebody say amen. Amen. So I want to go ahead. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear from somebody that's having a trying week, trying day. Maybe you had a hard day, bad day. All right. And we're just going to pass the mic. I'm, firstly, again, I just want to hear from a few people that had a bad day. Just tell me about your day. Tell me what's going on. Why was it bad? Okay. Well, um, I did. Uh, and we limited it. We're limiting it to 60 seconds. You got to give it to me in 60 seconds. Okay. So the day and all the position change and how? And say your name uh, okay. when you're about to say it. Just how your day was rough if you had a bad day. Well, it wasn't really a bad day, but it's for me it's stressful because I'm not from here. I had to drive through all this traffic. I went to a new job site. I worked on a construction site with a lot of different people, and at the end of the day I got fired, but it was okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> it you was to fired. my advantage. It was, your advantage. I mean, yeah. So it was okay. So you believe that the firing was okay? You're not feeling emotional about it or anything like no, that? No, because I was like, thank God, because this guy wasn't going to work. You know, and he was uh, integrity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The few more dollars an hour wasn't worth the grief to me. And um, I couldn't have done the five days anyway, even though it was more money. So it worked out. Why did you say the guy wouldn't work? Well, a lot of people compromise for certain things in life. And I'm not personally going to be abused on any job site under anybody. I don't care who's in charge if you're being, I'm just not going to No, that's it. good. I'm, that's I'm good. not going to settle for it. I'm How many people work it. with cantankerous co-workers? <laughs> All right. I'm just in your hand. Because I want you to understand that a part of maturity is working with people you don't like. Um, working with people that you don't understand. Amen. They don't understand you. And, you know, immaturity always says, let's run away from things that are difficult. Not talking about you. No. Uh, you were fired. You didn't run away. All right. Yeah. So like, yes. <laughs> they told you to leave. <laughs> That's different. All right. But um, you will be surprised how many people do not reach their purpose because they leave environments because they are drama filled. Or they leave environments because people rub them the wrong way, they're agitated, or they feel uncomfortable, whatever the case may be. And if you leave environments or allow the enemy to eject you out of environments because of your comfort, you will never grow. Inconvenience cultivates character. That's really, really good. Anybody else had a bad day? I got somebody over here. Okay, so my bad day is it's almost the end of the school year, mm -hmm. so the children have checked out um, mentally, physically, and so it was a rough day because I had to deal with 26 children that didn't want to be there other than the fact that they wanted to play and yell across the classroom. Um, but I changed my perspective on that because I started to think about how much they've grown from the beginning of the year, and I used that as an opportunity to talk to them about their goals in the future and, you know, use that to talk to them as well as about who they thought in the class was the, the nicest and had the best personality. And it yeah. became a conversation of like, 
just growth for them and they started to see things in a different perspective, how they need to mature for middle school and get prepared for what's next to come. And so that, I, yeah. That's really, no, that's really, really good. I, I wrote down a principle. Um, one of the ways that she dealt with her stress was by looking at the amount of growth that had already taken place. That's something that I want you to write down because you will get frustrated with yourself if you feel like you're not growing. And so if you don't have the ability to look at your own life and see where you've grown from the last time, uh, from your last trial or your last challenge, uh, it can definitely be uh, hard. You know, I have a mantra uh, when it comes to working with children. Jesus gave us a principle or a confession. He said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Whenever I'm working with children, I, I keep reminding myself, they're just children. Because I think sometimes we forget it. We start thinking that they know what they're doing. You are purposefully getting on my nerve. Usually, uh, they don't know, all right? So uh, you definitely have to treat them as children. And get this, that principle for me has worked even in spirituality. Because I found out even grown people are children. And so when I start working with ignorant people or just cantankerous people, people with attitudes, I just remind myself they're a child. They're a child. They may not be a child in development or biologically, but they're a child in personality. And so you have to be able to measure that. And so for me, they're just a child. So I try not to get upset about it. One more person. Anybody else? Bad day? Okay, I see you, Darius. Go ahead. So this is not a bad day, but this is a bad. So It's not I a bad day. It's a it's weekend. Oh, bad weekend. It's not a bad weekend. I had to grow in a situation. You gonna you gonna talk to the microphone? Oh, so all right. So I just got back from um, Philadelphia. Y'all starting already? <laughs> Come on, man. And I got and I got I had to get my first experience with a storefront church. Help and us. And that was very interesting. What was you this weekend? Philadelphia. Okay. For my I about to say because you can't be in Indianapolis talking about churches I know. No. All no, right. No. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So um, it actually. It made me feel like my worship was actually limited, and I actually couldn't move like, you know, I really wanted to. So um, after further conversation, my perspective changed because I had to have more, I mean, I had to look at it in a different way, in the uniqueness of how someone worships. And my fiance basically told me to look at it as though I was in another country. Hmm. And I never thought yeah, of it. this is so good. I never thought of it in that way. And... I think that actually just opened my, my eyes. That's really, really good. So to recap what he said, he went to a storefront church. It was a little bit different than he's used to. And it was really hard for him to engage in worship until his fiance said, just pretend you're at another country. Hear me. You could do that on blind dates, too. No, I'm just saying, like, whenever you get in an unfamiliar environment, that's a really good, that's a really, really good tool. I really, really like that. Because sometimes people get, because if you've ever been to London, they speak English, but they don't, you don't know what they be saying. And they're speaking English, the correct English, and you still don't know what they're saying. So sometimes people, people can be speaking your language, and there can still be a gap of comprehension. So, no, that's really, really good, all right? Now, the reason I wanted you guys to do that is because if you cannot measure and locate where change begins, you can never duplicate it, all right? You have to be able to duplicate change or transformation. 
at the drop of a dime. This is the difference between a leader and a follower. A follower, their change or their transformation is locked in the hands of other people. For a leader, we change at, at the drop of a dime. Anytime we feel as if our perspective needs to be amended, we have the ability to change. Well, how can we change if we don't understand how change occurs? And so this is the reason I wanted you guys to look at that. But we wanted to look at dimensions. Everybody say dimensions. All right. Now, of course, we're about to get ready to build uh, a world in just a moment. We're going to deal with calling and purpose. But before we do that, I want to ask a couple of questions and we're going to be defining some terms. When I say calling, your calling, can anybody just give me a basic definition, understanding? What is your perspective when I say that? Like what concept comes to your mind when I say calling? Anybody? Anybody? Yes, ma'am. Say it again. Purpose in the kingdom. That's good. Purpose in the kingdom. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Foundation of your purpose. Foundation of your purpose. Foundation of your purpose. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Say it again. Destination or destiny. I saw somebody over here. What you were what you were born to do. What you were born to do. And all of these are really, really good. Anybody else before I move on? All right. All of these are really, really good, all right? So what we're going to do, I'm going to introduce you to uh, what we call, uh, I developed a concept or a diagram. Stephanie, thank you so much for printing these, all right? I'm going to pass out some of these, and I just want you to take one, pass it down, and we're going to write on these. But this diagram, thank you so much, this diagram, and give them a stack over here, give them a stack over here. This diagram is something that I call the destiny diagram. And we're going to go over it just a little bit, try to pull out some principles that I think will be helpful to you. And we're going to ask some questions surrounding calling, purpose, identity, assignment, anointing, all of these types of terms. But by the time you leave, this is our goal. Number one, you should know what you are called to. Number two, you will know your purpose. Somebody say, I will know my purpose. Your identity will be solidified, all right? We're going to make sure that you understand who you are by the time that you leave. We're going to be dealing with your gifts, your talents. Anybody from last week's class remember the third level? Trades. Come on, y'all. Trades, all right? Trades. And we're going to be talking about how do you utilize specific giftings at specific seasons. Because how many people in here are multi-gifted? All right, so most of us, the dichotomy or the frustration that we feel is not knowing what gift to utilize in what season or at what season or at what time. So we're going to be dealing with that. And we're going to start off with a little dot. So if you guys have saw me teach this before, you guys are pretty familiar with it. Just bear along with me as we kind of go through the rudiments of it. But I promise you it's going to make sense, all right? So now it's on your diagram, but I'm going to start building it from scratch, all right? And there's still passing them out. If you don't have, we got some people over here that don't have them. And I got some more if we need them. I'll wait till everybody got one. Got you. Awesome. He needs one. He needs one. Okay, you got it. Right there. Anybody else? Okay, we good, we good, we good. And David, I think I sent, sent this one for you or sent this one to you. We can get it on the screen if we can and uh, get ready to get some scriptures on the screen as well. Okay, I didn't send it? Okay. Well, we'll work with it. They got it on, in their hand. 
All right, so now we're going to begin, and I want you to draw along. Even though you have this diagram, I want you to draw along or at least label it on the different uh, uh, parts of the diagram that I gave you. We're going to start off with a little dot, all right, with a little dot. Now, this dot is you. This dot represents you. When you were born, when you were made or fashioned in your mother's womb, you started off as a little dot. And in that dot was every genome, was every strand of information that would make you who you are. It started off in this dot. Now, I want you to label this dot as identity. That's the first thing that we have to, um, that we have to define this evening. But before we do that, I want to go ahead and ask you to draw from this dot, I want to ask that you draw a horizontal line. Just one horizontal line. Just one horizontal line. Under this line, I want you to label it as purpose. Purpose. And now, perpendicular to that horizontal line, I want you to draw a vertical line. And right next to that vertical line, I want you to label it calling. Now, before we define these, let's go ahead and define identity. Identity is the cornerstone to your calling and to your purpose. Identity is the cornerstone to your calling and to your purpose. For us to understand the purpose of a cornerstone, you have to look at Ephesians 2, verse number 20, where the scripture says, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone was the first building block they laid within the foundation of a building or a house, and they laid it to make sure that it was standard and stable so that the foundation that they laid as a um, as an extension of the cornerstone was straight, was accurate. The cornerstone had to have a 90-degree angle. It had to be a perfect square in order for the foundation to be solid and stable, all right? So this is your identity. If your identity is skewed, your calling will be confused and your purpose will be uh, perplexed. Your identity must be sure. Now, this is why the enemy, when you are young, does a great deal or throws or fashions many weapons to confuse your identity, all right? He comes after your identity, not just through trauma. A lot of times it is through trauma. you going through certain things, whether it's molestation, whether it's abuse. But one of the things that I found out is that curses and ill-spoken words are more detrimental to a person's development than trauma because all of us grew up in the ghetto. We don't got into fights with our best friends. We don't been lied on. Somebody cheated on us. Somebody talked about us in school. We've all been through trauma, but usually the words that are spoken over our life by people that we trust have more of a futuristic impact than the trauma that we go through. See, when somebody does something to us, we can fight, but it's hard to fight against words. I want you to write down John 6 and 63. After the event, words can continue to reverberate. 
even after they've apologized, it's hard to forget what they've said. And so when it comes to identity, one of the hardest things about identity is convincing yourself that you're not what they called you. You're not. You're not. You're not. Somebody say, I'm not. All right? You have to be convinced of that, that you're not what you did and you're not what you went through. Those things were designed to shape your identity, all right? But hear me. Now, when we deal with identity, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And I told you to get 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, let's get, I think it's around verse number 20. And then after this, we're going to 1 John. All right, let me get 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, I feel like a Baptist preacher. I'm sweating already. I feel like saying I'm getting ready to close. <laughs> Jesus, right? Of course, my internet wants to act up. 2 Corinthians 5. Awesome. 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to look at verse number 21. If you can get it on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Everybody say identity. All right, there's one more scripture. Let's go to 1 John. First John 4. And when you get it, verse number 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness, come on y'all, in the day of judgment. Now, I want you to underline that phrase, the day of judgment. This is both a cosmic and a seasonal term. From a theological perspective and a cosmic perspective, it is talking about the judgment day. The scripture says, for it is uh, given unto men once to die and then the judgment. So we are all uh, prepared or we have already been appointed to die once. It is appointed unto man uh, to die once and then the judgment. When it says the judgment, it's talking about the bema or the judgment seat, the throne of God. Us going before God and him uh, or us giving an account 
for everything that we did in this body, all right? And then God will judge it. Now, it's very important for you to understand when it says judgment, we always think guilty or innocent. But when you go to a court of law, there are people that they may not have been found guilty of the original crime, but they may have uh, been found guilty of a lesser crime. And so the judgment, even though they're not sentenced to hell, they're sentenced to time yet served. Or uh, they're sentenced to uh, like some fine or something like that. Um, uh, the other day I was praying. And when I pray many times I have visions. Like um, I go into these different uh, scenarios or these different scenes. I don't know if they're happening now, if they've happened before, or if they'll happen in the future. But I was uh, praying and I was literally in a courtroom. And the Lord, I heard the Lord say, if you keep doing this then you will be fined. And I said, Lord, well, what will be the fine? And he said, now this is, now again, this is just, this is me and my personal time with God. So I'm not telling you to look this up in your Bible. I'm not saying you can find this in your scripture. All right? I'm just saying that I said, Lord, what would be the fine? And he showed me, he showed me this massive field. And he showed me somebody mowing the lawn uh, of this field. And literally the field was like football fields. And they were mowing the field. And I said, Lord, how long do they got to mow the field? said, for about a thousand years. <laughs> now, what they were doing in the spirit, now I didn't know this, but them cutting the grass in the spirit, there was a farmer that could not afford any tools or technology to, to, to cut his grass. And because the weeds were growing, it was killing his crops. And so he prayed to God that the Lord would do something supernatural. And so for a year, his grass never grew. He couldn't understand why it didn't grow, but there was somebody in the spirit that had the job of mowing his grass. Now, I know that may not make sense to you. I can't find no scripture for it. I'm just telling you an encounter that I had with the Lord. I'm saying that to say that just because you go to heaven don't mean you won't be fined. All right? Because you got a lot of people that feel like, okay, I'm born again. I'm saved. The blood. I done skipped hell. I never got to worry or answer or have a consequence for anything I do in my body. Everything will be judged. All right? Did you know even angels will be judged? Your scripture says that. Get this. Guess who judges angels? Y'all do. Saints of the Most High God judge angels. So judgment is very important. The reason I'm, I'm, I'm showing you this, the concept that I want to establish is that everything will be judged. And this judgment is not just talking about judgment at the bema or at the mer or at the uh, judgment seat of Christ. It's talking about every level of your life will be judged. Now, what is, it, why, why, what is he being judged? Now, this is so amazing. He says, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. So that means you know you ran the red light. And when you stand before the judge and they say, how do you plead? You know you're guilty and you say, innocent. And you don't say it under your breath. You say it with, but. now I'm trying to show you a, a principle, all right? Because when the enemy comes to you with an accusation and say, you a whole, amen. Look at all the things you've done in your life. And even if you did it, you got on the day of judgment because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. It is the blood that says you are not what you did. I feel like preaching, y'all. 
All right? See, that's what gives you confidence. Now, the reason why this is important is because if you can't get past this first step, you will become whatever they call you. You have to have boldness in the day of judgment to say, I'm not that. I did it, but I'm not that. I was it, but I'm not that. Amen. I was there, but I'm not that. I smell like it, but I'm not that. Somebody say, I'm not that. All right? Now, we're dealing with identity. Now, notice the next thing that he says. Now, why is it that you can have boldness on the day of judgment? Next, next clause. Because as he is, uh-oh, we're dealing with identity. So, if, so, because as he is, all right, as, as, that, that, that's a comparison, right? That's, that's, that's a word of comparison, as, all right? So he's taking two different things and he's putting them together, juxtaposing it so you can see that while they may look different, they're actually the same, all right? They're the, now, now he's going to show you how they're the same, all right? Because as he is, so are we, I'm going to use another word, in this dimension. All right? Because as he is, so are we in the flatlands. All right? So are we in this world. So now, identity is never a confusing subject. You ask me who I am. Who is he? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was on the cross, he died, here's a theological term, vicariously for you. Meaning that he didn't just die for you, he died what? As you. When Jesus was on the cross, he literally became you. All right? He became you. See, this was, the, this was the miracle of the metamorphosis of the cross. That while he was on, did you know that he was on the cross and he was so beaten that people could not recognize who he was? You know why they couldn't recognize him? Because he wasn't him no more. Now, this is just the gospel, man. Hallelujah. All right? He became you. So now, if he became you, who you? Now, he can't be you and you, you at the same time. So now, if you gave him your life and you now have his life, you're not the little girl that was left at the cheerleading competition. You've been traded. Now, the only reason you're still there is because you never exchange your life. You know why? Because you're still trying to find stuff there. The scripture says, he that tries to find or keep his life will lose it. You still think that there is something there for you. And literally, when you got born again, everything that happened to you before you got born again, God said, don't even matter no more. He tossed it in the sea of forgetfulness, and you still trying to do counseling over something God already covered. I used to, I mean, I got a, I got a problem because I got a whole bunch of clothes in my closet right now that I can't wear, but I don't want to get rid of. 
And the reason I don't want to get rid of them is because I remember when. You understand? I remember them shirts. Man, I got about 200 Kooji shirts. Y'all remember Kooji? Man, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a preach prophet before I leave. And get this, and every time I look at one of them, I, I, I'm like, man, you know what? I should throw this away, but I'm going to tell y'all the honest truth. There's something in the back of my mind that say, one day you might be able to fit this again. Because it was when I was bigger, you know. So it's like, one day you might be able to fit this again. And you will be surprised how many lives we never bury because we think on one weekend when we're having a bad day, we want to go back to where we were or what we were doing. You still think there's something there? You have to be willing to say, that's not me anymore. Amen. And get this, some of us are not letting go of bad things. Some of us are letting go of good things. It wasn't all bad. There were some good things back there. But there's no way you can become or you can go forward while you're still flirting with the past. You have to let it go. Somebody say, let it go. All right. So we're establishing identity. What is your identity? Your identity is now found in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says it's not only found, it is literally, the Scripture says it is hidden in Christ. In God. You hear that? Your identity is hidden in Christ, and then he took that and put it in God. Your identity is secure. You just have to be bold enough on the day of judgment. Another word for judgment is accusation. You just have to be bold enough on the day of accusation. When the enemy brings up the case from yesterday and say, you still are who they say you are. You still are who you think you are. You have to have the boldness to say, no, I'm not. It's simple. No, I am not. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. You have to be willing to say that. That's identity. Hear me. You cannot go further without establishing that fact. You have to be willing to say, no, I am not how I feel. Because hear me, Christ ain't depressed. See, when you accept feelings from an alternate personality, from something that's not you, when you accept that, you literally are agreeing to become that. And I know you think that you should just be able to go through life and not have to fight. It just don't work like that. Every single thought that comes to your mind that is not in obedience to Jesus Christ, you literally have to say, that's not me. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's voices and words that come from so far. I'm talking about stuff that you ain't heard. You can't. Hey, what are you talking about? I ain't dealt with that since high school. How you bring that up? You like women. Okay. And you have, now watch me. See, this is the nostalgia of warfare. Or warfare, one of the things that the enemy does in warfare, he uses nostalgia to disrupt your equilibrium, right? Like he'll touch an area. See, the enemy don't play fair, all right? He is going after your weakest point. He's going to come after what he knows will destabilize you. 
right? That word that you know, if somebody said that, it's going to make your whole confidence crumble. If somebody finds this out, it's going to make your whole confidence crumble. He's coming after that, all right? This is your identity. You must be settled in who you are, all right? So look, let's do a quick exercise real, real quick, all right? Now, I want you to write down your age. I'm going to write it down. Hallelujah. I want you to write down your age. I want you to write down your sex. I want you to write down your race. Height. Weight. Relationship status. Job or occupation? Age, sex, race, height, weight, relationship, job, occupation. So mine, oh Lord, mine would be 30, male, black, Height, five, ten, <laughs> shh, <laughs> five, nine, five, ten, somewhere like that, all right? Weight, about 185, 190, all right? Married, and then superhero, that's mine, all right. Now, did you do it? Okay, I see a couple people still writing. All right, did you write it on paper or did you type it? You type, if you wrote it on paper, I want you to get the piece of paper. Yeah, I mean, I want you to hold it. All right. So it's got your age, your sex, your race, your height, weight, relationship, job. If you ask most people, who are you, this is what they're going to give you. All right? Now we're going to do something prophetic real quick, all right? Because now as long as this is you, people can create systems. I feel, whew, People can create systems to hold this stuff back, all right? They will say, you're too young. They'll say, you're a man or you're a female. They'll say, you're black or you're white. They'll say, you're not this or you're not that. So I want all of us to take this, all right? On the count of three, I want us to ball it up. One, two, three, real, real quick, all right? Ball it up, and this is every limitation that people have ever spoken against you. This is ever, every constriction that people have ever spoken against you. Nothing in the physical world will ever be able to hold your purpose back. Somebody say, I receive, amen. The real you is about to stand up, and the real you is a... Yes, Lord, the real you's about to get power. The real you about to get bravery. Somebody say, I receive. I receive. Now, this ain't you. I, come on, hold it, hold it. This ain't you. 
All right? See, I need you to understand that the person that you see in the mirror is not your identity. Before the foundation of the world, you were already, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. You are an eternal being. Been here since the ancient of days. You are not what you see. All right? Y'all got it balled up? All right. Y'all ain't going to throw it at me. So let me get on y'all's side. All right. On the count of three, just throw it as fast as you can. One, two, three. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a praise right there. Amen. All right. Now, I need you to understand this. You are not where you've been. You are not the activities that you've engaged in. You are not your history. Hear me, and I know you don't want to understand this or receive it. You are not your culture. See, some of you identify yourself with your culture more than you do with your God. Amen. You are not where you come from. Now, I'm trying to get you to understand that because the moment this clicked for me was the moment human emotions became unfamiliar. Y'all ain't talking. Because remember, because as he is, people ask me all the time, Pastor, why you don't get tired? Because when that anointing jump on me, I become another man. Amen. I'm not human. I'm not regular. As he is, tell me something he's afraid of. Tell me something that he bows to. Tell me something that he backs up to. He has perfect stature. If he's that, what am I? So no, I don't walk with my head down. You got to receive that. There's a surge of confidence. Amen. Just receive that. I don't walk with my head down. I don't walk with my back slouched. I walk with my head held high. I always have a good day. Even on a bad day, I have a good day because I make the day. Amen. As he is. So how can it be a bad day? How are you stressed out? Huh. God will not put more on you than you can bear. As he is. So are we. Your identity should never be a place of convolution. It should never be a place of confusion. Ever. Ever. And it is, it's literally a weapon of the enemy to attack your identity. All right? So we have to settle, who are we? As he is, so are we. I know who I am. Somebody say, I know who I am. All right? Now let's keep going. We're going to go ahead and deal with uh, uh, calling uh, and purpose. All right? So when we deal with identity, we understand that our identity is found in Christ. In him, we live, we move, and we have our being. All right? So if we want to get to know us, we have to get to know him. Now, I'm not saying that as a euphemism. I'm not saying that as you read the scripture, all of a sudden you're going to get to know you better. No, I'm literally saying as you're reading the scripture, the word was made flesh and dwelt among you. You are literally seeing, oh God, man, you are seeing yourself operate in every situation. What would I do if people persecuted me? 
you can literally look at how Jesus responded to criticism, responded to persecution, so forth and so on. And you can see what he did and use it to model your behavior after. Hear me. The first stage of mentorship is what we call mimesis. Mimesis, the uh, Greek word is mimetis. I'll get you the scripture. First uh, Corinthians eleven and one. First Corinthians eleven and one. Be ye followers, that word followers there, the Greek word is mimetis. It says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. The word follower literally means to mimic, all right? When they first started um, acting or the art of acting uh, in ancient Greece, they would start off by mimicking. As a matter of fact, uh, one of our first acting classes, you mimic animals because if you can't be able to instinctively put motion and character and intent in your body, you have to be able to show that, all right? And so they, they, would, they would train us on how to do that. But the first level of mentorship is mimesis or what the Greeks would call mimicking because you have to learn the form before you know the substance. And so you would be trusted with the form first before you got the substance, all right? So that's mimesis, or to mimic. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 1. No, as a matter of fact, let's go to Revelation. Revelation. The book of Revelation. Uh, in about four minutes, we're going to take a break, and then we'll continue, okay? But I'll tell you to go to? Revelation, let's go to Revelation e, uh, 4. Revelation 4, verse number 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door. Everybody say concept. All right, now, I need y'all to hear this scripture, because I want this to build, and I want this to be on the background of your mind, all right? After this, I looked, and behold, a door, I want you to underline door if you can, was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. All right. Now, when it says trumpet, it literally means because in the days of old, they would utilize a trumpet to alert uh, troops or to make troops stand to attention. Now, this is one of the principles for the voice of the Lord. If it does not awaken or captivate your attention, usually it is not coming from God. All right? Now, this is true on any level of God communication, whether it's a dream, a prophetic word. Hear me. If they prophesy to you and you can just be like this, most likely that didn't come from God. 
Whenever God speaks, it's like a trumpet, meaning that it causes you to stand to attention. When you have a God dream, that's not something you can shake off. That's something all throughout the day you are remembering. Hear me, I'm going to give you a key to dream interpretation. I know that people have taught that the devil can come and steal your dream. And there's a bird that come and <laughs> steal the sea, uh, all this different kind of stuff. Hear me, if you forget about it by the time you wake up, it wasn't important. God is not schizophrenic. Why would I have a conversation with you and then you not remember the conversation? Okay, better yet, why would I have a conversation with you just for you not to understand what I'm saying? You can usually verify what God was saying or at least the intent of his emotions the moment you wake up from a dream. I tell people this all the time. If you're trying to interpret dreams, one of the first things you want to utilize is the first feeling that you have when you wake up from that dream. If it's one of terror, usually it was a demonic dream. If it's one of peace, even if it was a warning, you have an overcome, uh, overcoming sense of calm when it's a God dream. And if it's something that you can't remember, most likely it was the regurgitation of your soul processing stimuli from what you received throughout the day. All right? If you are a dreamer, let me see the hands of all the dreamers, all right? If you are a dreamer, you have to be diligent to process or to dump the, the mental load of your mind before you go to sleep, all right? If you don't, you can't be sure that what you're dreaming is God. Your brain has to process stimuli, all right? It's going to take all the things that you saw and all the things that you don't know. And did you know your imagination is designed to fill in the gaps? Are y'all ready? Are y'all here? And see, a lot of times the dreams that we're having is just the gaps that our imagination has filled in from the stuff we've already experienced. Right? So I'm saying that to say that when we're dealing with this, when the Lord speaks, he speaks like a trumpet. You never have to worry about, was that God? Trust me. Your spirit knows God. You just have to learn how to trust your spirit. All right? Now let's keep reading. And the, the first voice which I heard was as if it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. That word hither means higher. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. All right, let's take a two-minute break. If you need to use the bathroom, you can use the bathroom. We can open the doors. Amen. We're going to take a two-minute break. It's 8 o'clock. At 8.03, I'm going to start teaching again. All right?
All right, here we go. Now, when we're dealing with calling, remember that your identity is the cornerstone for your calling. It is the cornerstone for your purpose. So we want to go ahead and get into calling and purpose really, really quickly. Now, I, I, we, we, I had a few people raise their hand and talk about calling. I'm not going to do the same thing about purpose. But what I want you to do is I want you to get ready to draw some vertical lines. Because when it comes to purpose, there are many different ways that we can accomplish the, the purpose of God for our life. So whether it is we're a doctor, a lawyer, preacher, business owner, teacher, fireman, <laughs> artist, fashion designer, actor, or an athlete. While they're all different purposes, while we all have a certain purpose, and we're going to get into that in just a moment, while we all have a certain way that God has called us to accomplish our purpose, he has also called us to accomplish that purpose on a certain level. So I want you to draw some horizontal lines, all right? Each one of these squares represents a season, a chapter, and a time. A season, a chapter, and a time. Now, when it comes to our call, let's deal with calling first. Let's get 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 9. Now, in Revelation, it says that he heard a voice, and the voice was a, well, the voice said, come up higher. It was calling him, all right? It was calling him. When we talk about your call, as a, as a matter of fact, let's get Philippians 3, 14. Philippians 3, 14. Let's get that first. Philippians 3, verse number 14. Now, look at what Paul said. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, let's break this down for a, a moment. Let's write down the word press. So, that means it is not easy. This is for anybody, for all of us. We are all equal when it comes to our call. When it comes to our call, hear me, there are no easy roads. It's going to be a press for everybody. There is nobody that's here tonight that was in traffic saying, this is easy. <laughs> nobody. So this is why one of the things that you have to circumvent or take out of your journey is pity and excuses. All right? Hear me. Nobody got time for that. Nobody got time for you feeling bad about yourself. How are you feeling bad about yourself when you got up from a grave? Because remember who you are. Amen. There's no way you can feel bad about yourself when you know who you are. The only reason you feel bad about yourself is because you know you're not living up to who you are. Amen. 
Now, that will erode your morale over time when you keep doing what you keep telling yourself, I don't have to do, or I don't, I don't want to do, or I'm not going to do. When you do it, you disappoint yourself because you know you're better than that. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But when you do disappoint yourself, it begins to erode uh, your confidence, all right? And we'll get into that. But it says, I press. Look at somebody say, press. All right, because the only way you're going to hit your target is if you press. Now, I want you to also write down the word toward, and I'm not trying to uh, be too exegetical, but the word toward is a pretty significant word because it is a directional word. Directional word. You cannot change your destination overnight, but you can change your direction. All right? You cannot change your destination overnight. But you can change your direction, all right? So now, when it comes to, when it says, I press toward the mark, I want you to underline the word mark. The word mark there is the word scopos in the Greek, and it literally means a target. A target. And we're going to get to this in just a moment, uh, the target. For the prize of the high calling. Now, to, to use a little, a little deductive reasoning, if it says high calling, there must also be the presence of a what? Low calling. So there is the potential and the chance for you not to reach your high calling. All right? Now, when it says highest calling, it's talking about the highest calling possible. This is what we also call destiny. And I think somebody else said it. They said the word destination. Now, I'm going to give you a, just a brief little theological recap. Most of you guys know this, but just follow me, and then um, it's going to make sense. When God created Adam, he created Adam at the top of his game. All right? Adam was perfect. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam fell. The scripture says, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now hear me. When Adam sinned, he didn't fall in distance. He fell in dimension. All right? He fell through every level of life. All right? Now, when Jesus comes into the earth, the scripture says that Jesus is born of a woman. The woman was born in sin. Meaning that when she was born, she was born at the bottom. All right? Now, Jesus had to come through a woman. The scripture says that he had to be born of a woman because any man that comes any other way is a thief and a robber. He must come through the uh, sheepfold in order to come into the pasture. He must come through a woman in order to be in the world. If any other person comes any other way, he's a thief and a robber. And he he's referring to the first robber or the first thief, which is Lucifer, because he entered the earth not through a woman. He was cast down from heaven to earth. He did not come through a woman. Now, so watch me, all right? Now, since he, since he didn't come through a woman, he does not have redemption potential. All right? Because only those that come through a woman into the earth can be redeemed by the blood. But since he didn't come through a woman, he can't be redeemed. Now, follow me. Now, when, 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 when Jesus came, he came through a woman. So when Jesus came into the earth, he came in as a child at the bottom. Through his life, he had to ascend. 
all right? He had to become his greatest self. Now, after he became his greatest self, they killed him. They put him on the cross, all right? Now, when he was put on the cross, he became sin. He went down. But this time, he said, I'm not just going to stay at the bottom. I want to go a little bit lower. And so he went to hell. Now, this is your Bible, all right? Now, when he went to hell, he got the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Ain't got time. He got the different parts or the compartments of Jesus' mantle. He got apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. He got every gift. He got every fruit. And after he accomplished all of that, on the third day, he got up. Now, after he got up, remember, he's still at the bottom. So now, for 40 days, he started teaching. All right? Now, then on the last day, he takes them as far as Bethany. He lays hands on them, and he ascends. He goes up. He goes all the way up. Now, now watch me. He's up here. He decides, ain't ever going back down again. So he finds him a seat on the right-hand side of the majesty on high, and he sits down and says, ain't going nowhere. Now, when he sits down, this is what he does. When you get born again, you are now seated with Christ. Come sit right by me. All right? Now, this is the problem. While your spirit is seated with Jesus in heavenly places, your body is still down here. All right? This is what we call the dichotomy of destiny. And this is the frustration that you feel. Your spirit has already accomplished your purpose, but your body is still trying to get your degree. Somebody say, I understand. This is the frustration that you feel. Now watch me. This is what you got to manage because if you don't manage this tension, your body will move at the speed of your spirit. All right? That means, get this, when you get a job, by the time you clock in, you're already done. I'm trying, okay. All right? All right? I'm trying to show you why every time you get a little bit of something new, why you get bored with it so quickly, because even though you're there, you're already... And you got to be willing to speak to yourself and say, we're not done here yet. Watch me. You know what that produces? character. It's when you know you there, but you still got to live here, but you got to do it with a nice attitude. Even though you already done with all this. Hear me. I'm past this building already. We've been in this building for a few months, and I'm already sick of it. Amen. And I still got to walk in this sanctuary every Sunday like it's a nice surprise. Amen. You know what that's called? Character. How do you deal with people on a daily basis when you see them as a millionaire and they still catching the bus? Amen. And you still got to deal with their attitudes, their issues, their complacency. You got to deal with that stuff and you know their potential. What gives you the patience? I'm trying to show you that what God is trying to do, he stretches your promise from your present to build character. That's what the tension is building. And hear me. You know if it's working, because if you're still complaining, you ain't been stretched far enough. Somebody say, I understand. 
All right? So now, what I'm trying to show you is that this man, this being up here is who you are. Hear me. Your calling is not to a place. Your calling is to a person. You got to hear me. Your call, if I say, what are you called to do? You cannot give me an occupation. All right, y'all. We in it now, y'all. All right? Let's go to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to give you a secret. Amen. Now, if, look, I'm about to give y'all some stuff. If you don't want to believe me, that's you. But once I give it to you, you got to do with it what you will, all right, with what I give to you. But you got to do, do something with it. What did I tell you to go to? Romans 12. All right, let's go to Romans 12. All right? Somebody said, I know who I am. I'm telling you, you got to survive that feeling. You got to survive. When you know you're supposed to be driving a Bentley and you're in that Honda, you understand what I'm saying? You got to be able to control that feeling because that tension is designed to grow character. But you got to not move. Don't get a cosigner, amen. Stay on the bus. And I know it's hard for you to hear it, that if you stay on the bus, your anointing will grow out off the church. Watch me, because inconvenience cultivates what? If, if I don't do anything else in this class but teach you how to learn, how to love inconvenience, I've done my job. Every time you see inconvenience, that's the opportunity for you to be promoted, amen. It's inconvenient. Awkward situations. Confrontation. Having them conversations that you really don't want to have grows your character. Can you sit there in the seat, look at them in the eye, and keep your character? And the moment you understand that is growing you, the moment you start looking for those opportunities. Now I like awkwardness. I stand in the face of it. I used to not like it. Like, literally, I was talking to Stephanie about this. Stephanie was saying, like, sometimes when she hosts, she don't like silence, right? Because silence sometimes, you know, when people not saying that. Me, I've learned to love silence. I did it right there. Because I learned that confidence can't stand in silence. Or lack of confidence cannot stand in silence. The only thing that can remain stable in silence is confidence. So I like, to, I like for everything to be like, Shh, and then I see how people react. And the nervous people, they twiddling their thumbs, they trying to find gum or whatever. Confident people are like, what are we doing there? Right, confidence. Okay, what was I? Okay, Romans 12, I don't know what I'm talking about. All right, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let's keep going. Uh, and, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is, now this is what I want you to write down, what is that good, I want you to underline that, acceptable, underline that, and then perfect, I want you to underline that, will of God. Good, I want you to write down 30-fold. Acceptable, I want you to write down 60-fold. And then perfect, I want you to write down 100-fold. 
Oh, man. Um, do me a favor, you guys in the back. See if you can Google the sigmoid curve. Sigmoid curve. S-I-G-M-O-I-D curve. Just see if you can Google it. All right. Now, all right, y'all, we're about to get into some murky waters. All right? The will of God is God's predetermined desire. It is literally what God wants. All right. Now, God is not like us. There are things that we want, but we don't have the ability to get. Right? You see something in the mall you want, but you don't have the money to get it. You have a will, but you don't have the ability to get it. Hear me. There is nothing that God can want that he doesn't have the ability to get. All right? Now, this is important. There is nothing that God can want that he does not have the ability. If God wants you, he can get you. So God then has to literally create parameters for himself. All right? Because if he wanted to, you say. But since he will not violate your free will, he has to put parameters in place. All right? Now, while we say the will of God, I want to I want to I want to um, submit to you that there are different levels of God's will. There are certain things that are good. All right? Now, when we talk about good, we're not, we're talking about, we're in the realm of morale, in the realm of behavior, in the realm of ethics. Good. Where there is no law, there can be no transgression. People, even though people may not know the Bible, they still know the difference between good and evil. You don't have to be saved to do good. There are people that are sinners, but they are good people. And they will be judged according to their works. That's what the scripture says. Any person that does not know Christ or did not come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, there are people that say stuff like, well, what about people in uh, ancient foreign land that didn't hear about Jesus? The scripture says that God then judges them on the law that they did know. You know, how to be a good person, being courteous, so forth and so on. But this is the level of good, all right? There are certain things, they're not, okay, watch me. Um, a woman gets saved. She come into church, she gets saved. When she got saved, she was a stripper. In her closet, she didn't have nothing but G-strings and stilettos. But she want to come to church, though. Now, when she come to church, she can wear whatever she got. And it is good, but it ain't acceptable. She's doing good, but that's not acceptable. It's good, not acceptable. So then, then there's another, uh, another lady. You can say this lady, she's been walking with God maybe for a couple of years. And she shed all of those clothes, but she got nice clothes, but she still ain't learned how to church dance. All right? So she looked good. All right? But whenever people start shouting, she start twerking. That ain't good, but that's all she got that's acceptable. God accept that. That's all you got? God accept that. That's his acceptable will. 
And there are certain people, they literally survive in the acceptable will of God. Right? Is drinking a sin? <laughs> See, that's not wrong or right. That's acceptable. That's usually based on culture, upbringing. All right? Now, I know you guys think that America is the only place that have Christians. All right? But you know there's Christians all over the world. And some of them do not get their Christocentric context from America. So you go to Jerusalem and you have Christians and Jews that drink wine. All right? And uh, Metashevitz, I think it's called, if you've heard of it. All right? I, I heard of it. I heard of it. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that there may be certain things for you that are not acceptable because of how you were raised and the culture that you were raised around. But just because it's not acceptable to you don't mean it's not accepted somewhere else. And there are certain things that God may not accept from you, but he'll accept it from somebody else. That's the acceptable will. And this is why you can't compare what somebody else has the leniency to do and then make that law for you or vice versa. Something that God told you. If God told you to fast this week, that is your law. That ain't everybody. That's the acceptable will. All right. Spend too much time on that. And then you have the perfect will. All right. The perfect will is God's mind on a particular thing. All right. It is God's perfect will. It is if he had his desire, how would it go down? Now, I'm showing. Oh, perfect. 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 Thank you so much. All right. Now, the reason I, I wanted to share all of that, I did all of that to give you the concept. I want you to write down um, the law of God's freedoms. All right. All right. The law of God's freedoms. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9. 1 Corinthians 1.9. So your calling is not to a place. Your calling is to a person. Your calling is to become. That's what your calling is. Hear me. Every single Christian has the exact same calling. And it is to become the exact same person. Watch this. God is faithful by whom ye were called, notice past tense, unto the fellowship, communion, koinonia, of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Your calling is to become like Christ in fruit and in witness. Fruit, first Corinthians, uh, Galatians 5, witness, 1 Corinthians 12. In the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit. In total manifestation of character, your job is to become like Christ. That's your calling. And hear me, it's a high calling. Because every time you think you're there, you hear a voice saying, uh-uh, come back up. Come on up again. I know you thought you was over it. Come back up. All right? It's always calling you higher. Hear me. Your calling is not to a vocation. Because if you ask somebody, hey, what is your calling? Pastor. So are you not in your calling until you're pastoring? And if you stop pastoring, are you no longer in your calling? Right? 
Your calling has, y'all got to hear me, all right? Your calling has nothing to do with what you do. Nothing. Well, I think I'm supposed to be a teacher. You could teach. But I can name five other things that you're interested in doing too. And you keep dropping everything to focus on one thing just to get bored with it after a few months. So now you're a prophet. Next week you're an evangelist. The week after that you're an apostle. You know why? Because you think that those are callings. And you still see your calling as something you do. Your calling is who you are becoming. That's what you're, hear me, your calling can be recognized in how you talk, in how you walk, how you dress, how you operate. It's your calling. It is the, and I'm, okay, we'll get there in just a moment, all right? All right. Now, let's deal with purpose. First John 3 and 8. I want to finish this, all right? I want to get somewhere so we can stop. I want to ask some questions or answer some questions. First John, 1, uh, First John 3 and 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Look at your neighbor and say, no, 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 no. All right? For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this, come on, y'all, I want you to underline the word purpose. For this purpose. Now, it says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. But remember, you trade places with the Son of God. So Jesus' purpose is whose purpose? Your purpose. So what is your purpose? To destroy the works of the devil. What my purpose? What my purpose? To destroy the works of the devil. It's very, very simple. What's your calling? To become like Christ. What my, what my purpose? To defeat all the works of the devil. Now, I know it's simple, all right, but we've made it hard with purpose-driven books and calling-driven books. And you're reading this stuff, and you're trying to figure out, so am I, am I, am I, am I, am I, you don't know who you are. By the time you finish it, you're more confused than when you were or where you were or who you were before you started. It is simple. Your call is to become like, not a minister, not an elder, not an apostle. All of those are things you want. Amen. That ain't got nothing to do with your calling. All right? I'm going to show you a scripture before we leave. All right? All right? Uh, um, okay. So now, for this purpose, another word for that is cause. Another word for that is cause, all right? The law of cause and effect. For this cause, the Son of God was made manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Man, there are so many works of the devil that can be destroyed. How do I know which one I'm called to destroy? Hear me. Watch me. Every door is open by keys. How do I know what door I walk through? By the door my key opens. Right? So, one of the ways you know how or what work of the devil you're called to destroy is by the gift God gave you. The gift God gave you is the key that opens the door of opportunity into your assignment. How do I, okay, okay, and I'm going to say it like this too. You can locate your purpose by following your passion. 
Now, I'm going to give you another word for passion. Because when we say passion, we usually only understand passion within the context of, of romantic relationships and stuff like that. All right? But anybody that's been in love understand that there's a flip side of love as well. All right? When you're in love, somebody say something to you, it can make you flutter. It can make you, you know, blush, all the different kind of stuff. But the flip side is if they say something crazy to you, you get upset quicker because another word for passion is agitation. You can find your purpose by locating what agitates you. The problems you can't ignore point to your purpose. See, for me, when people are talking, I can't stand when people don't know what they're talking about. I can't. And see, that for me, I don't think that I'm anything special. For me, I just couldn't stand for people to use words that I didn't understand. So if a preacher said dimension, I said, I'm about to go look that up. You ain't going to say dimension, right? Because that's a word everybody use. If you say that, I'm going to know what that thing means. You're not going to say level. You're going to another level. What is that? I don't know what that is. So I wanted to go behind the scenes and understand the concept behind some of the words and behind some of the definitions that people were using, all right? So now, when we talk about purpose, we're talking about the reason why you were born, the reason why you were created, and your purpose is to destroy the works of the devil. How do you know what work you're called to destroy? By the gifts that you've been given. You can locate your purpose by following your pain, following your, uh, your, uh, your agitation, or following your passion, all right? Now, your gift is designed to create room for you, all right? The room that your gift creates is what we call a lane, all right? Now, follow me. How do you know what you're gifted in? Now, most of us have many different gifts, Many different gifts. How do you know what is your primary gift and your secondary gift? Now, if everybody starts singing in here, <laughs> I saw Keisha. All right. Now, if everybody starts singing in here, if I listen loud, if I listen hard enough, I'll be able to hear somebody that sounds good. Who is it? Okay. Okay. All right? I'm going to be able to hear somebody that sounds good. Now, out of everybody that's singing, what I'm going to do is find the person that sounds good because as long as they're around people that don't sound good, they sound just as bad as them. All right? There's no distinction as long as they're around the crowd. All right? So now, so they have to use their gift. Now, while they're using their gift, their gift is going to make room for them. Now, hear me. When your gift makes room, makes room for you, it's not always, um, how can I say this? It's not always bringing you in front of people. As John the Baptist, sometimes it's bringing people in front of you. All right? Because if your gift, okay, man, oh. Every gift has a gravitational pull, all right? Every gift is like a star, all right? It literally has a gravitational pull in the sense, come here, uh, uh, somebody, just come here real quick. Come here, come here, come here, come here, all right?